You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I think that 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 Canucks dressing room is shell-shocked. And it's like, man, when is this just going to end? And the bottom line is it's on me if they're not doing what I want them to do. The trajectory of this organization is downward. Downward. Now dig up, stupid. Good morning, Vancouver. 6 o'clock. Wait for it. 6.01 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. And I want to wish a special welcome back to our good friend, Jason Bruff, back in the chair Yay. for the first time in 2023. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, everyone. How does my voice sound? Not it is, bad. It's on, it's on the road to recovery. You sound all right. Yeah. Yeah. How are well, you we'll feeling see. more You sound like you should be doing late night infomercials. Why? Just because it's so sultry and seductive. Mm. Be- some, some some sort of like fruit peeler? Yeah. <laughs> Buy this now. Apple peeler 3000. It'll change the way college. you, I don't know, peel apples. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. Good. Yeah, well, I'm welcome feeling, back. It's, better, good to, yeah. it's good to have you back in the chair. We missed you the last couple of days. That was it. He's not talking the rest of the day. Yeah, it was good. It was a good start. Yeah. It was a good finish as well. Uh, you are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I'm Mike Halford. He's Jason Bruff. He is A-Dog. Good morning, A-Dog. Good morning. And he is Laddie, Greg Ballack. Good morning, Greg. Oh, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Let's get right back into it, Jason. Tell the fine folks about Kintech. Kintech footwear and orthotics. They do not cure pneumonia. No. However, they are Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I got a big show ahead on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Guest list is going to begin at 7 o'clock. Connor McGahey, the play-by-play voice of the defending Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. He's going to join us at 7. Then at 7 o'clock tonight, the Avs are in town. To play the Vancouver Canucks, 7 o'clock Rogers Arena. Uh, friendly reminder, we are giving away a pair of tickets, are we not, Andy? One pair of tickets. One pair of tickets. How do the people win those tickets, Andy? Oh, God. Uh, you'd hashtag what we, WWL, include a ticket emoji, yeah. and give your best what we learned. You I, must I, participate. Not just your name, not just the ticket emoji. Not just the WWL. I, I thought you were going to say they do something bad and then we punish you by giving you Canucks tickets. <laughs> no. Andy's not be, allowed to make those jokes anymore. This will be a good night. <laughs> he also screwed up the read so badly yesterday. <laughs> hey, I recovered. He said, you need to go hashtag emoji. I'm like, what? What's a hashtag ticket emoji? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you panic? You panicked under pressure? A little bit. Yes. I folded. Uh, 7 o'clock. <laughs> Superman on laundry day. 7 o'clock. Connor McGahey is going to join us to talk about the Avs. 7 30, Frank Saravalli, uh, Daily Faceoff, is going to join us. No shortage of drama to talk about from the Vancouver Canucks. We can look around the NHL as well. 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. He's going to join us uh, to talk about tonight's game. Look back on the three-game losing streak. He called all of them, folks. He got to see it up close and personal. Boy, I didn't miss the uh, Dunbar-Lumber text line. Well, I guess I kind of did. Gary the Atheist texts in, is that Bruff or Jim Rutherford? Oh, yeah. Al in Calgary, Jason sounds like Doc Rivers. Put some lotion on them voice cords. No. Surrey Ryan, welcome back. Jason Columbo no, no, Bruff. No, no. 
I like the Columbo one because that is like in line with my references. Yeah, like, I, ah, I just one more question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two cigars in your mouth? He's gonna do. He's gonna do every interview like that today, <laughs> embodying Columbo. Hey, Kana, Kana, like, listen to me, bud. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have just one more question, and then that question is going to like prove that they murdered someone. <laughs> <laughs> Connor McGee, he's like, what show did I book on here? Why, why is this happening? You don't sound like Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is more raspy. You're a little bit more throaty, if that makes sense. It doesn't, but that's okay. Okay, it's a big night ahead in the world of sports. World Junior Gold Medal Game, Canada, Czechia, 3.30. Note the start time, our time, then 7 o'clock tonight. Big night for hockey locally. Uh, the Canucks and Avs, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. I mentioned that already. Nine NHL games aside from the Canucks and Avs. There's a big English Premier League clash with City and Chelsea and a bunch of NBA games as well. That is what's on the docket. That's what's on the ledger. That's what's coming up. But now we need to tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? We shall begin with the aforementioned World Junior Hockey Championships. For the fourth consecutive tournament, Canada is going for gold. The defending champs scored six, count them, six unanswered goals to beat USA yesterday 6-2 in the semifinal, punching their ticket back to the gold medal game, where this time they will take on Czechia, the team that beat them, remember, 5-2 back on Boxing Day. Uh, Stories of the game. For once, the story of the game was not Connor Bedard. It was a local boy, undrafted goalie Thomas Milich, who made a, a ton of saves against the Americans, 40-plus for him. Player of the game, really impressive performance. Canada wins 6-2, and they're on their way to the gold medal game. Well, Connor Bedard did play a role, though. He scored Once, a goal. Yeah, I mean, but that was a, a big— disappointment, really. N- yeah. It was a big goal by Connor Bedard. The Americans had started out really well. They were up 2-0. Uh, I think at one point the shots were 9 nothing. Kind of reminded me of—you remember a couple of years ago when— uh, the Canadians met the Americans in the gold medal game, and the Canadians were had rolled through that tournament. Yep, like they were by far the favorites to win the game, and then the Americans just came out and took it to the Canadians. Like, yes. and the Canadians had no answers for them. Now, fortunately, the Canadians did have an answer for them this time around. It was Connor Bedard, it was Thomas Millich, yep. and it was, I think, a pretty fortunate call by the referees to disallow an American goal that would have stemmed the momentum that the Canadians had because the Canadians made it 3-2, so they'd scored three straight goals. The Americans seemed to have scored, and then the referees called it back on. I think it was a – I'm not saying it was the wrong call. It was the wrong call. I'm not saying it was the wrong call. I think there was a little bit of goalie interference there, but I just think it was a bit of a surprising call considering that the call on the ice, that it was a good goal. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, none of us really know what goalie interference is, whether it's in the NHL or the World Juniors. It all depends how the referees seem to see it on that particular occasion. But I thought the Americans were a little hard done by on that decision. I think it was – I don't know. Let's defer to Greg here, laddie. I think you're – I would say, without knowing your answer, that you're going to go in defense of the goalie. But Jackson Blake, son of Jason Blake, former NHLer, I might remind everyone, I felt like he got ripped off on that first disallowed goal. Yeah, I thought that one was, of the two, obviously it was the one that was the had the most gray area, you could say. But mm-hmm. I, I think the international rules are a little stricter when it comes to things around the crease. And I think you kind of just expect that when you watch international hockey. I don't know about you guys, but when you watch international hockey, 
it, every time someone scores and around the crease area, it's kind of like hold your breath. I don't like yeah. I don't like where we've gone with goalie interference. Why not? Because it's become an opinion. It's not a rule anymore. Well, it's, it's supposed just, to be clear cut. In you should the be able IIHF. to do whatever you want to the goalie. Yeah, just, just right. free that for all. That should be the rule. Anything, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The moment that he gets out of his little protective bubble known as the blue paint, yeah. it's like game or on. Or the puck goes in that crease, you know, game on. Yeah, like yeah. you, you, you have should be allowed to kick him. You got these big stupid pads. <laughs> One guy's job yeah. on the team is just to take out the goalie. No, uh, at, at any rate, I mean, I, I think the uh, Americans played a really good game. They had the great start, um, but the Canadians ultimately had more firepower, and they had a great performance in net by Thomas Millich, who's, I was like, after the game – I went to his hockey DB. I'm like, I wonder who's got this kid. I'm like, oh, undrafted. That's interesting. So, Laddie, again, I'm going to defer to you. Why is why did Milich not get drafted? Because he seems like he's good at stopping pucks. Well, first and foremost, he the the, the height chart. He doesn't uh, blow it away. He's only right. six feet tall. So mm-hmm. you get those scouts that just straight up don't look at goalies under six foot two. So there's half the teams out of the equation there. And he plays for Seattle Thunderbirds, who are a very good team. Top of the WHL standings for the last couple of years. And right. It's hard to get a read on goalies that play for teams that are very insulated. Right. And he, he doesn't play a flashy style, so he's not going to jump out at too many different scouts. Looked pretty flashy in the last game, but yeah, he's just one of those guys that falls under the radar because of the team he played on and his size. Okay, as mentioned, Canada is going to play Czechia in the final today, 3.30. Uh, our time is when puck drop will happen. It's a very good Czech team. Uh, they, you know, a lot of people have said, if you want to go tip to tail in this tournament and say, what's been the best, most consistent team, it has been the checks. The only hiccup that they had was a, an overtime loss in the round robin against Sweden. Otherwise they haven't lost in regulation this entire time. Do you think Canada is going to try a bunch of Michigans tonight against them? I think that's the plan. <sighs> I think that's what you have to do is you have to try and replicate the success that you had in that five, two loss back on boxing day. Um, so it's funny, like they, they've talked about this quite a bit. I know there's a short turnaround from yeah. beating the U.S. to going to play Czechia, but as soon as they got off the ice yesterday, all the players were asked about this rematch. So it's written in the scripture, if you will, that this was their destiny and they were going to get a chance to exact some revenge. And you would think that the next logical step in that narrative is what you were talking about. It's like, don't make the same mistakes that you made back on the 26th, but the Czechs are there on merit. They're a good team. So should we talk about the team that Czechia beat to reach the gold medal game, and that would have been Sweden, the oh. one with a couple of Canucks prospects. And uh, listen, I, I I I haven't been on air for a couple of weeks now, so my negativity is a little rough. Like I need to I need, need to get it back a little bit. But uh, let's face it, things are not going well for Jonathan Lekarimaki, who barely played in the game. He was the thirteenth forward. I think he was mostly just used on the power play to little effect. Yeah. Um. It has not been a good draft plus one year for the Canucks prospect that they took in the first round just last year. Um, We can run through a bunch of excuses. He had mono, as all Canucks prospects that are struggling get. They get mono. They actually actually get it at the draft. It's in the contract. The Canucks have got to stop kissing the Canucks when they draft them. Is, is, it's, it's, been a problem, it's been a problem for this organization for a long time. Very European. We know uh, it's a tradition. You must stop this. Yeah. He also had a concussion. Um, now, if you want to use those excuses, fine. I think the best excuse is he's still pretty young. He actually doesn't turn 19 until July. And, we, and you, you hear it so many times. This tournament is a 19-year-old's tournament, except if you're Connor Bedard, and yes. in which case it's a 17-year-old's tournament. Um He's still eligible, Lekaramaki, to play in next year's World Juniors. But, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those situations where nobody's calling him a bust. 
you know, don't freak out that, that we're, we're daring to suggest that things are not going perfectly for a Canucks prospect. Mm -hmm. But I think it's okay to admit that things are not going perfectly for him. And the knock, if there was one, is that this kid has a great shot, but has to develop pretty much everything else in his game. It's not our fault that we're scarred. This is uh, very reminiscent of the Ole Ulevi situation to me. Very reminiscent. Well, Ulevi, yeah, Ulevi plateaued after he um, after he was drafted, and he never really he never really gained momentum after that. Now, was that because it was the bad pick? Was it because he had so many injuries? Was it? I don't know. We can throw the pandemic in there, I suppose. It, it, you know, a lot of things went against Ulevi, but the Canucks. They have so few prospects. Like Lekaramaki, you, you can if if you've if you've allowed that Pod Colson and Hoaglander are now, you know, NHLers or AHLers, like they're beyond the the prospect. Yep. However, you like he's their only one. He's no, their I know. only blue chip guy, and he is not trending the right way right now. I know, and it's it's frustrating. From we talked about this yesterday, actually, and A Dog gave away the tickets to one of the What We Learns, where the guy was talking about. Uh, the engagement level in a World Junior tournament being predicated on how many Canucks prospects were in it, right? That's, I mean, oftentimes yeah. it's, I mean, primary thing is you want to see Canada win, but for local fans, you, I mean, there's been tournaments before where a Canucks prospect has gone and done really well. I mean, you could go all the way back when? to Jordan Schrader. Remember him? Remember yeah. him tearing it up for the Americans? Cody Hodgson. More recently, every Canucks prospect that's gone is either been fine at best yeah you're kind of like talking yourself into the fact that like pod coles would be like well if his line mates could finish then he would have had a great tournament and, you know that sort of thing and mine really is reminiscent of you levy when we i mean we were just waiting for him to do something for those finish teams and i think it was his second time around he had a decent tournament but it was on a really bad finish well, yeah, team. it was his first tournament that got him drafted right so you're looking at it and you're saying well you know you want you don't want again you brush right you don't want to say the B-U-S-T word. I'm spelling it just so we don't have to say it out loud. But at the same time, um, there's a history here where you're mm -hmm. a, a tad concerned. And also because of what you just pointed out, the prospect cupboard is thin. There's not a lot there. Lekromaki yeah. matters whether you like it or not. I actually just wonder what, if anything, the Canucks are going to do about this. I mean, they've got uh, Michael Samuelson working as a player development guy oh, yeah. in Sweden. Um, you know, the whole Swedish thing is probably like a bit over overserved in this market like maybe because like the Sedins tell him to do something he's gonna do it like he, I'm, I'm pretty sure I hope he's motivated regardless of whether the Canucks have a bunch of Swedes in the organization uh, but you know it, there's this he's in some ways whether or not he's received it or, or not he's probably gonna need this like wake-up call that that tells him like hey man like you're gonna have to develop a lot of your game like there's a lot to be done here now, there is still time, and we'll see how he looks in the next World Juniors when I'm pretty sure he'll – I mean, I hope he's on the team at that point. Right. Um, and he will be a 19-year-old. He'll be a guy that has been in two tournaments previous. So, you know, there's always the chance in these tournaments that a coaching staff looks at a kid and goes, I don't trust you because you're young, right? Like, you, you, you just I – don't, I don't trust you in these big games, so I'm gonna. I'm not going to play you that much. I'm only going to play you in these circumstances. Unless you're Connor Bedard. Unless you're Connor Bedard. Yeah. Right? And and the Swedes have a few other kids that are were just drafted or even draft eligible that have been played. But they obviously gained the the trust of the coaching staff. But this next year is going to be huge for Lekaramaki because they're, you know, it, it gets to a point where you kind of run out of excuses. Like, 
the Ulevi thing was ridiculous in this market. How long people held on hope just because he could make a breakout pass, right? Like right. there would be like a breakout pass that he would make. It was like a wide open pass. Or I still think about that one, man. Still think about or it. even or even pass. one that would be like a stretch pass oh. that could be made by any decent hockey player, but because it was like, like well, that's the reason why like we've kept maintained hope in Ulevi, and like clearly. He wasn't trending towards being an NHL player. Okay, do you feel like your negativity is ramped up? Do you feel like you got the engine going and you're ready to go? Because it's time to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. I'm ready to go, yeah. Okay, good. Because uh, the Canucks, in case you missed it while you were away, are mired in a three-game losing streak. They will host the Colorado Avalanche tonight. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. We're giving away a pair of tickets. Uh, Yesterday... It was a feisty practice, Jason. The Canucks played all the greatest hits in the midst of dysfunction in adversity. Uh, they had a feisty practice. Luke Shen was running around hitting people. JT Miller was back on the wing. And then Bruce Boudreaux, a day after, we played his comments a lot on this show about how down and negative he was on his team. Old Bruce came back and said, you know what, guys? This one, this one might be on me a little bit. Can we hear from the coach right now? Laddie, this is Bruce Boudreaux saying that there are things he can do better. This is a day after saying there was things uh, the guys on his team could do better. He's now saying, no, 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 it's me. I can do better. I can motivate guys better, and I can make them more accountable. Uh, here's about a minute of Bruce Boudreaux here uh, taking a little bit more ownership, which I think is crazy, but alas, here we are. Bruce Boudreaux on his hockey team. You know, there's things that I thought that I could do better, you know, um, and that uh, it's it's on me. And the bottom line is it's on me if they're not doing what I want them to do. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that in the meeting and in the video that we showed today that that they they understand what I want them to do. And then it's, uh, like I said, it's on me to implement that if they don't, then uh, i got to make them find a way to do it. I always used to tell people the coach's job is to find the Achilles heel of the player. So in, in, in other words, if it's a, a kick in the butt or a pat on the back or uh, taking ice time away or in the older days taking money away, I mean, it was my job to find out what makes them tick and what, what can go. And, and maybe sometimes I've let that slide a little bit and uh, uh, just go back to the well a little too often. So it's, it's up to me to, uh, to make these guys more accountable. I found a few Achilles heels on the Canucks too. It's called defensive play yeah, it's called the team and it's called the penalty kill it's called puck management goaltending at this point that's mm-hmm. a bit of an achilles heel all due respect to spencer martin i i, I look this to me was an, a one minute audio clip of a man that was told by someone perhaps that you're going to need to walk back some of the things you said the no night way before. no chance no chance i think this is just bruce boudreau this is just who he is um i actually feel a little bit uh, do you think Bruce is really listening to anyone? It's like, it tells him what to what to say. He's like, "Hey, no, I'm going to say this." I feel bad that Boudreaux is going out like this. Yeah, it sucks. Like, I don't think he's ever going to get a head coaching job in the NHL again. I mean, simply because of his age, he's he's an older guy now. Um, and you know, you and I have disagreed on whether or not the Canucks have been well coached. I remember we had this question. I, I said, "Do you think the Canucks are a well coached team?" And you said, "Yeah, I think they've got a good coach." And I said, "I don't think they do." I don't think they're well-coached, and I think the they do not look like a well-coached team. This is not me blaming everything on Bruce Boudreaux. Far from it. But I don't think he's part of the solution right now. And I think we should play some um, 
audio from Elliot Friedman because yeah. right now it seems like the Canucks players, and who can blame them at this point, are just like, when is this going to end? When are we going to get like when am I, when am I going to get traded? When do I get to leave this mess? Or when does the team get this massive shakeup? When do we get a new coach? Because this stuff, time and time again, and you know, it's 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 it is like Groundhog Day. Um, I know I missed a few games, but I feel like I didn't miss those games because I've done the analysis on those games before. Mm-hmm. Bad home loss, bad puck management, can't kill a penalty when you need to kill a penalty. Man, it's the same thing. You forgot over they, the, and there over. There was a new one, not blocking enough shots. That was against. Oh, the that's a new one. Yeah. That, well, I mean, and, and in some ways, I know a lot of people are putting that on the players. Like you're not sacrificing enough, and fair enough. But in some ways, that's a structure issue, right? Like it, you have to be in the right position. You, to, to block shots, and some of that can fall on coaching. So uh, you mentioned the Elliot Friedman audio. He was on the Jeff Merrick show yesterday, right after our show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, and he was talking about the current state of the Canucks room, and it was sort of like everyone's got this when-is-it-going-to-end feeling and mentality uh, across the board. Let's hear that now. This is Elliot Friedman on the Canucks from yesterday's Jeff Merrick show. I think that that, that, that Canucks dressing room is shell-shocked. I, I really do believe that. It has been a season of story after story after story. Um, the, the, you know, the fact that it looks like Horvat's going, um, you know, Boudreaux has been, you know, kind of held on edge for a little while now. I, I just think that it's been a lot for those players. And, you know, on some level, you have to be professional and say, you know what, um, I've – I, I got to block it out and I got to play. And you do. I think we all have to do that at different times in our own lives. But I just think it's been a lot and the reality is setting in. And now everybody knows that, you know, you're looking around, you're like, who's going to be here and who isn't and, and what's going on. And I just think those players, it's like been one like shock after another and I think those guys are mentally wiped. I, I really do. I think it has been a really hard year there. And I think those players know that there's a lot of people going and the team won't be the same. And it's like, man, when is this just going to end? Does it seem like uh, we've been in a death march with the Canucks for three years now? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it does seem like that, right? I know, I know we had the brief- We'll always have the bubble. Well, no, after the bubble, I know we had the brief respite with the Bruce, there it is, but the Canucks were so far behind the playoff bar there that even when they were winning games, it, it was never, it never, the odds never turned into, wow, the Canucks are probably going to make the playoffs. Like, it looks good. They're going to do it, right? It was always a long shot. Yeah, they played better. Yeah, they fought back in the standings, but it was always such a long shot that they'd actually reach it, and ultimately they fell fairly significantly short. We had the All-Canadian Division year. Mm-hmm. That was followed up by last season where Travis Green got fired and Bruce came in. And then we had this season. It has been one story after another with this team and none of them good. And for a lot of those guys, they've been there the whole time. Like, they've been, like you think about Horvat, all the stuff he's been through since the bubble, including all the stuff that relates to him now and his contract and the fact that he's got to go up time and time again and be the guy that answers questions after the latest Canucks dismal loss. 
Like, how are there not players? Like, I, I, I've heard reports like they all get along. They like each other. Okay, fine. Still, miserable, right? Like, it's, it's got to be. I, I mean, I hope it is. I hope there aren't players there that are like, this is still pretty good fun time. Like, it's, it's these losses at home yeah. have been horrendous the whole yeah we talked about that a lot yesterday too the canucks in there's like four significant statistical categories where the canucks are a bottom five or bottom two in the nhl in terms of like stats at home uh points percentage 29th at home there's seven ten and one save percentage is around 862 that's second worst at home they've they've given up an exact average of four goals against per game at home so if you think about it it's like if this team does not score five goals a game at rogers arena they will lose that takes its toll because those same fans are the ones that are turning on the team andy's what we learned yesterday was about the smattering of boos that jt miller got yesterday when they came or sorry two nights ago against the islanders when they announced the starting lineup that this that this is where it's gotten to and it is ugly, and it is kind of negative, and you do wonder, like Fridge alluded to in the clip, how much longer uh, the players are going to, for lack of a better phrasing, be put through this, because they're the ones that are putting themselves through this, but when the sh- other shoe is going to drop and a change gets made in some way, shape, or form. I actually want to discuss uh, the Miller situation a little bit. Um, I've been off air for a few weeks, so... Um, I know you guys probably had a conversation, but maybe just a follow-up on what you guys talked about sure. about Miller and the reaction in this market to Miller because I've been thinking about this contract and not just the potential for it to go bad from like a player asset type of perspective, but what about like a fan-player relationship? Yeah, we asked the question, what percentage of the fan base is one – completely against the signing now. And I guess the sub question was how many liked it at the beginning and have now turned the page. So I don't like it switched. Yeah. Right. And I mean, we put it that there's probably what, I mean, optimistically 20 to 30% that are still holding out. Mm-hmm. Hope the tide has changed. Yeah. Just based on the Dunbar lumber text message in basket, six fifty six fifty. a reminder, you can text in that alone. And it's anecdotal and a small sample size, but there's a lot of texts coming in. They're like, it's obvious that, uh, this is not going in the right direction. There were a lot of people that said the remarks from Rutherford, especially where he said, like, it might take a year for Miller to figure this out. No one was buying. A lot of people said that this is too savvy and too knowledgeable a hockey market to buy. Malarkey. I'll call still it. A young, I'll say it out loud. Still a young, 29 years old. There's always time. So that that frustrated a lot of people. And then finally, mm. I think a lot of people and we, uh, the three of us also agreed with this. The that's just not worth the crap that he brings to the table. And I know it's blunt to put it out there, but the returns. Oh, if they were close to a Stanley Cup, you'd be like, all right, fine. The returns right now, yeah. uh, and it's diminished offensive numbers, by the way, too, but the returns right now are you got to put up with a lot of junk, and what's the return? So let's, let's continue this conversation on the other side, and we can dip into the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, for any of your – Comments or questions, uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. How bad could this JT Miller thing get? Is there any way back for JT Miller in this marketplace? Or has it turned so badly that Canucks management has to do whatever they can before his no movement clause or his no trade clause kicks in to get JT Miller off this team. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
Does it seem like uh, we've been in a death march with the Canucks for three years now? It's time for another death march. (laughs) This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I think that that that, that Canucks dressing room is shell-shocked. I I really do believe that. It has been a season of story after story after story. 6.34 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Canucks and Avs, 7 o'clock tonight, Rogers Arena. Friendly reminder, we're giving away another pair of tickets to that game. In order to win them, to be entered into the grand prize draw, text your what we learned to 650-650. It's the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the small alternative. Uh, hashtag it WWL. Add a ticket emoji to that text. You'll be entered into the grand prize draw. And this is the last time you're going to see the Vancouver Canucks at home for a while. They now head out on a road swing. Wait for it. That goes through Winnipeg. That's a tough game. Pittsburgh. They're good. Tampa Bay. They were in the Stanley Cup final last year. Then they go Florida, Carolina. Road trips over at that point. If you survive, yay, you get to come back home. In which case, the Canucks will then face the two teams that were in last year's Stanley Cup final. The Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. On the same night? No, they're going to... Do they have to play them together? That seems a little unfair. They're going to split it up. They figured, you know what, we'll give them a break when they come home. In that that stretch that I just mentioned there, uh, two back-to-backs as well. That Colorado-Edmonton to cap off this run of murderer's row teams is a back-to-back as well. So they have a very, very, very difficult stretch coming up. So before the break, we were talking about the relationship with JT Miller and the fan base. Um, And asking the question, like, could it get worse? How much worse could it get? Is it salvageable in any way? And Juan from Comox makes a very... Popular comparison at this point. Miller's situation, Juan writes, is going to end up like Messier. Management are going to ignore it because it was their mistake. And then Juan goes on to say, speaking of management, usually when new management comes in, they try to fix the mistakes from the previous group. This management, besides a couple of trades and signings, haven't done much. Okay, the comparison to Miller and Messier. I get it. Here's the thing. I think this is worse. Because Messier only signed a three-year contract, and that was before the salary cap. That was when an owner could just be like, all right, whatever. We're just going to eat this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really affect the team. It sucks, but, you know, whatever. There's no salary cap. It, we're, we're, we're at a point right now where I actually don't know what the value of JT Miller is on the open market. Like, let's say, take take the trade deadline out of things, because mm-hmm. teams right now are so... Um, up against the cap that I think it would be a very complicated trade to trade JT Miller right now midseason. But let's say it's the offseason before his no-movement clause kicks in, before his new 
extension kicks in, which would be on July 1st. How easy would it be to trade him then? Would there be a team out there that would be willing to take on JT Miller and maybe even give something in return for him? Or has those days of getting something for JT Miller, has that, has that ship sailed? I think it's sailed. I will, and look, this I want to make this abundantly clear. This is another thing we did yesterday as well when we had we were playing all this audio. Laddie, can you grab the um, the panel's audio from the weekend where they were really critical of JT Miller after the loss in Calgary? So we talked about JT Miller being the main character of the Canucks. You know how there's always that main character on Twitter every day, and the goal is not to be it. <laughs> he was so I was sick for. How many weeks? A, a few weeks. And obviously all I had was like my phone to occasionally keep myself entertained. Yes. I think JT Miller trended every hour of the day that I was sick. Yeah, so there was a there was a real four-day stretch from December 27th to the 31st, in specific, specifically here, where there was the 27th was the Thursday night game against the Jets where he did the stick-smashing thing with Colin Delia in that. He didn't smash Delia. He smashed the net with his stick. You guys all know what I'm talking about. Uh, that was followed by him really not even downplaying, just dismissing a line of questioning about what happened between him and Delia. Next game out, there's the Calgary game. He gets caught uh, with a really uh, poor effort back check on one of the goals, bad line change on another goal. Then... In the aftermath of the Calgary, so now you're talking about a, a sort of 72-hour window where JT Miller's flaws have been at the forefront. Hockey Night in Canada, nationally televised game. New Year's Eve, you got Ron McLean, Kelly Rudy, Elliot Friedman, and Kevin Bieksa just going back and forth talking about the problems with JT Miller. Here's the audio now. It kind of bounces around a little bit, but I think you'll get the gist of what we are talking about. Not in the Vancouver bubble, but nationally about where JT Miller's stock might be at. Uh, here's the Hockey Night Canada panel. I think the concern in Vancouver, Kelly, is that that's not the first time it's happened. Like, right. I, think, I think everybody can understand you having a bad night or a bad day. We all have them. It's just too often. It, it has to stop. Worst part is I really like him. I yeah. think he's valuable, but mm -hmm. you can't do those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And is it true, Elliot, that they've kind of thrown in their chips with him as opposed to Bo Horvat? Look, I, I, they signed him. Uh, he got a seven-year deal. I think at this point in time, everybody's sitting here saying it would be extremely surprising if they could find a way to get Horvat done. And a lot of ways, I still mm -hmm. can't believe it, Ron. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can easily move away from top centers in this league, but that's where we're going. You want to know? That? I can't. Well, I mean, I can't defend that. I defended right. the the first one in the pregame because I think I think you can be hard on your teammates, and I think if you're a 500 team and you're you're medi mediocre, I, I like the fire and I like the passion, but certainly mm -hmm. you got to back it up with your work ethic. So I, I yeah. can't defend that. So how do the Canucks get out of this? And are they going to try to get out of this? That's that's another big question. Are they going to try to get out of? this signing that they made or do they still feel the same way they did when they made a rather large commitment to him oh. now one of the ideas would be get to the off season and trade him to a team that i don't know maybe has trouble attracting free agents right like i, I don't know what that team would be but you say all right listen no one ever wants to sign with you Here's JT Miller. He's a guy that almost put up 100 points last season. There's no doubt he has offensive talent would you take him on? Because you're not going to be able to sign anyone else. Well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe this is just wishful thinking for me, but I'm at the point now where I would be happy, and I think a lot of fans are in the same situation as me, 
if the Canucks were just able to be rid of the contract, like to the point of put him on waivers, like that sort of trade. And if someone claims him, great, you wash your hands of the whole situation. Is there regret involved in that? Absolutely. You think, wow, we should have traded him earlier. We never should have signed that contract extension. We should have taken whatever what was was off on offer at the trade deadline. But you cannot think like that. Mm-hmm. You cannot think, well, we should have got this six months ago, so we have to go this way. Like that's a sunk cost. That is a decision that has been made. Right now, what you have to deal with is the reality of the market. And I fully admit, I don't know the reality of the market. Like I, I've had conversations with guys, uh, you know, Dimitri. We had Dimitri on the show what a month or two ago, and Dimitri I said, "Do you th- yeah?" And I said, podcast? "I said, do you think Miller is tradable?" He's like, "Oh yeah." Like he's he seemed like yeah, he's he's tradable. So uh, what I'd like to find out is if he is tradable. Like I, I want the Canucks to explore that possibility. Well, if we're gonna go with the public information that's available to us, um, it's not gonna get there because if you believe what Rutherford is saying publicly. Uh, they don't feel like this is a soured asset, that this is a guy that's still figuring it out. I mean, the quote that he had to Ben Kuzma in the province a couple days ago, and this was on the Monday after the very tumultuous weekend following the Jets game and the Flames game, was Rutherford kind of circled the wagons and said, you know, this is an adjustment. JT's playing the middle, not playing the wing like he was last year. And he's learning his 200-foot game. He dropped Sidney Crosby as a comparison. And then he said, it takes time, and it could take a whole year. He's going to have to start, you know, moving his legs. That's that's the first thing that we're going to have to uh, work on with JT Miller so there, is, there, is, is, is trying. There's a real interesting divide here, though, between the perceptions and... The perceptions and the criticisms of the public and now the media. Because, again, I just want to reiterate, this isn't just you and I just sounding off in the morning. We, we play. I, the reason I kind of cherry-picked that audio from the Hockey Night Canada panel is like, there's a lot of people thinking this way. It's definitely gone national. I, I've noticed a lot more people from, say, Toronto commenting on JT Miller, whereas before they'd be like, oh, yeah, he plays for the Canucks, right? Now, the interesting wrinkle with all of this is that the Canucks' response has been a 180. Right, Rutherford didn't acknowledge or say, yeah, he's underwhelmed, or yeah, we need to work on this, or yeah, we need to work on that, or yeah, JT needs to improve this. The comments were, we like his passion. And then when asked about some perceived struggles, the excuses started to get run out. Well, he's had a lot of different line mates. Mm-hmm. Well, he's back, bounced back and forth between center and wing. Now, to take this even a step further, Miller had the exact same response. Even he even tripled down. He's like, you know, I, I think maybe the reason that my production is lacking it speaks speaks to how you know focused I've been on the defensive side of things. And I'd say the the reason you've bounced around the lineup a lot is because you can't seem to find a place where the Canucks are winning with you in that spot. But he hasn't said it. He didn't acknowledge it publicly, which I thought was a real eyebrow raiser because most guys, when they're the highest paid player on a team that is sub five hundred in a three game losing streak. Most of them will just you take the usual course of action and say, I got to be better. It's on me to be better. It's on me to do these things. Uh, we got a text in, Bruff, you have lost it. That's true. Uh, but then he says, wave Miller? Come on. I, I didn't mean actually put him on waivers. What I meant was make a trade where your only goal really is to get rid of the contract. You don't care about what comes back. How many people out there, maybe we should do a poll on this. Have we done a poll question before? How, many people, how many people out there would just accept 
Miller's contract, and I don't know how you'd word this, just like being gone. There's no return, but the contract still isn't on the books. How many people would accept that right now? Knowing that they could have gotten a lot more for him if they had just accepted whatever was on offer at the trade deadline last season or in the off season or whatever, but recognizing that the situation has changed and it's gotten worse and the Canucks as a team are not even close to being Stanley Cup contenders and you've got this contract on the books that statistically speaking when you consider the player's age is not going to get better if anything you're going to bet on this getting worse. How many people out there would just like you wake up in the morning and you see that JT Miller is no longer on the Canucks. His contract is no longer on the Canucks. It's on some other team. Did you get anything in return for it? No, you did not. Are you happy or are you mad? It's a great question. You'd almost have to divorce yourself from the first half of the equation, which is hindsight being 2020. Like, you know what you could have got. I think a lot of people would. Of course you do. But that's that's what you have to do to manage assets. Yeah. If it changes the demeanor of the room, I think a lot of people would take that. Like, yeah, if this improves the way the players get along with one another, if that's really, if Miller was the catalyst behind the friction, the supposed friction, mm-hmm. and his removal causes the team to gel and come together a little bit more, a lot of people would probably be like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that hit for sure. I think the issue for a lot of people, too, is like, there are a lot of people out there. You know, I, I know I hear this, this thing, like, everyone loved JT Miller last year, and Everyone wanted the Canucks to keep him. That is 100% not true. We had these debates daily about whether or not the Canucks should retain JT Miller. And there were myriad people out there that said, do not sign this guy to an extension. Yeah, everyone was like, trade him. He's your most tradable asset. Move him. And he's getting close to 30, and the Canucks are not close to a Stanley Cup. A lot of... uh... A lot of people, a lot of people texting in just saying, like, if they were just to do the old proverbial wipe the slate clean, like in this mythical world where he's just, you wake up one morning and he's not on the team and his cap hit doesn't exist anymore, mm-hmm. they take it. And I understand. Some people saying, like Jay and Delta said, I'd be pissed. Nothing back for Miller would be ridiculous. But you almost have to. Do you think it's going to get better or worse? Well, some people have texted in, and I've seen this a few times about. This, like, uh, Jim Rutherford was playing the long game and got cost certainty on Miller with that contract, and then you could still move him before his no-movement clause kicks in. My counter to that would be, if that was the plan, and I have major, major reservations in suggesting that it was, but if that was the plan, you are taking a gigantic risk because Miller's got to go out and play. What happens if you signed him to that extension and in the first game of the season, he went knee on knee with someone and tore his ACL, mm-hmm. and his career was in, in jeopardy. Then you're, you've got no asset value there. It's it would be it's a huge risk. What's happening right now was always the risk when you signed him to that deal that it was going to start badly. I mean, hell, a lot of us thought at the very least a seven year extension looks bad on the back half of it. <laughs> the extension hasn't started yet. And it's looking really rough. There's people texting in, I'd be happy to add a third or fourth rounder to get rid of JT Miller's contract. Like People are at the point right now where they would add sweeteners to be rid of JT Miller's contract. And guys, the extension has not kicked in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's the highest paid player on one of the worst teams at home in the NHL. It's just the reality of the situation. There's mm-hmm. no, I'm not 
trying to paint a, a positive or negative picture. The Canucks on home ice in front of their paying customers this year have been abysmal. By the standards of the NHL, they're one of the three worst home teams going. They're down there with the Arizonas and the Anaheims and the Chicagos and the Columbuses of the world. And the, when the, you're that bad and you've got this passionate a fan base, people are going to look to your leadership group, your leading players, your leading point getters, right? Now, Pedersen, I think, has had a valiant effort in the face of all this. Bo Horvat has had a valiant effort in the face of all this. JT Miller has been clashing with teammates, defiant when asked about his behavior, mm-hmm. and caught on numerous occasions making egregious errors and not giving the most perceived terrific effort to get back in the play and fight. Also, that so and I know the giveaway statistic is kind of flawed, and you're, yeah, you're yeah. counting on bean counters at NHL.com. Statistically, Miller leads the team in giveaways and has the third most minor penalties taken. So there's a lot stacked against him in terms of have you won over the fan base or have you lost this fan base? I, I don't expect every player on the team to be Pollyanna. Let's go, let's go get them, boys, and be encouraging all the time. Like I'm okay with the miserable prick type of player, right? As long as that attitude is out there on the ice. I've seen people make comparisons, JT Miller and Ryan Kessler. In defense of in defense of JT Miller, mm-hmm. it's like well Ryan Kessler wasn't always like a a breath of fresh air, and I'm sure he had arguments with his players. Ryan Kessler left his body out on the ice. He worked so hard, right? But like, and we, he, he wait, was, wait, well, I'll just jump in when and you're he was talking, an incredible defensive player. He won like, the Selkie. Yes, yeah. you can't compare. He that was at all. unbelievable checker. Yeah, you never ever doubted you his. Can't effort. make that comparison at ever. All. We, yeah. made the, we made the point yesterday that when Ryan Kessler won his Selkie, do you know who won it the years before and after him? The year before was Pavel Datsuk, and the year after was Patrice Bergeron. So we're not just talking about being a good defensive yep. player uh, in your era. We're talking about being a good defensive player in an era where there's two guys they could literally name the Selkie trophy after, mm-hmm. and he won it then. To compare uh, Miller and him trying to talk about his 200-foot game in that vein. <laughs> well, I think the comparison is just like they're both kind of passionate, but often they can, you know, maybe, Kessler maybe, maybe argue it. with the, maybe argue with the with their teammates, or certainly not get along with the media. Not that that really matters at all. Mm-hmm. Like I'm okay. I don't expect every teammate to be like rated G. I don't mind once in a while when. Players argue with each other. It doesn't bother me in the least. What bothers me is a player out there who's arguing with his teammates that seems miserable uh, at times uh, that isn't giving the effort. Right, and that's the big part of it. You're not matching your mouth with what you're doing on the ice. Well, that was the Bieksa, the end of the clip that we played when Bieksa said it. He's like, I can defend. He was talking about the Winnipeg versus the Calgary incidents. I can defend being passionate and emotional and demanding more of your teammates. I can't defend following it up with what appears to be a really crappy performance and lackluster yeah. effort. And those two things, I mean, I, we throw around juxtaposition a lot, but it works in this particular instance. That is the great juxtaposition with Miller right now. Are you willing to put up with all of the negativity for what seems to be diminishing positivity? Like, there's not a lot coming. I mean, the, point, the points right now... 
he's on pace to be a 65 to 70 point player, which is fine. But if you look at the modern landscape of the NHL and how high level top paid forwards produce, that's not it. Right? 99, unfortunately, sure looks like the Canucks doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on a career year offensively. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I guess the question now is, are they going to do the same with Bo Horvat? And we'll see what happens there. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.